what we're what we're finding is is that in 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 most of the wisdom traditions there are are generally given five major states of consciousness and those are waking dreaming deep formless sleep then pure empty witnessing and then unity or non-duality and every individual is born with their wakefulness capital w with their big mind with their uh true self with with their ultimate ultimate um identity with consciousness as such is identified with the waking state and then when they go to sleep they tend to pass out and not remember it or they wake up and remember snippets of the dream and so on and then when they go into deep formless sleep they have even less memory of of that and the point of meditation in in the traditions is to take wakefulness and have it fundamentally move through all of the major states so wakefulness persists into the dream state and you begin lucid dreaming and it will persist into the deep formless state and there'll be a very subtle tacit awareness even in that state and when that happens your center of gravity yourself is switching at each of these points to a deeper um presence a deeper state until finally once you and then you're disidentifying with who you thought you were in that lesser state so when you are forming uh your conventional self in the waking state then you think well i'm my sense of i am is my sense of selfness uh i'm a father i'm um a chemist i um belong to presbyterians i have a wife i have two kids and your whole identity is built around things that you have accumulated or identify with or work with in the waking state and then when you move into the dream state and you find that all of a sudden you don't have any of those things anymore and yet you still have your absolutely fundamentally identical sense of i amness that's unchanged and yet you're in an entirely different realm you're in the realm of all of these lights and luminosities and archetypes and images and unicorns and god knows what but you still the fundamental thing that hasn't changed is your sense of i amness i am and so you start to realize oh, wait a minute maybe there's there's something more here than 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 I thought there was and then when you move into deep formless sleep and there's virtually nothing arising except vast infinite consciousness as such and your continuing sense of i amness and you realize that in that state of infinite emptiness you are still the same unchanging i amness then you're starting to disidentify with these lesser finite phenomenal changing selves and you're starting to shift your identity more and more and more towards the 
true self. And when you then finally flip into the state that's called Turiya, and Turiya is just Sanskrit for, um, literally it means the fourth. So it's the fourth state after waking, dreaming, deep sleep. When you when you when you flip into that, that is a a, um, a pure realization of I amness, a pure realization of the true self. And as long as you are in that state and there's nothing manifesting, you're still in a sense in a very similar state to the causal formless state. Then that is. Uh, a direct experience of the true self. Right. And since there are no objects arising and there is just pure emptiness, then then that is an experience of that true self. And in many cases that's an actual stage in in the meditative practice. And so you are because there's nothing but pure awareness and no perspective, then there is as yet nothing to differentiate this true self experience from any other individual in that same state. It's essentially the unmanifest world that you're in. It is essentially the unmanifest world that you're in. But as soon as you move to the next higher state, the fifth state, called Turiyatita, which means non-dual or not two, then that's where emptiness and form become one, or nirvana and samsara become not two. And at that point, your conventional world of form arises. And therefore, the true self and in particular, the unity of your true self with all objects, all gross objects, all subtle objects, all causal objects, you now have true self plus a perspective because you're now located in the manifest world. And so you are seeing all of this, even though you are one with it, and 100% the divine self, you're still now seeing it in a radically unique way. Nobody else is seeing the same way you're seeing, even though somebody else, again, who's enlightened, will have some of the same, quote, qualities of having a sense of timelessness and spacelessness and um, being unborn and undying. But every object that's seen is seen from a unique perspective. And every thought arises in a unique space. And so non-duality takes on, it shifts from being just a pure emptiness true self to a unity of true self and all of manifestation, and that means true self plus a perspective. Right. And that right. means a unique self. That means a unique self. So whenever awareness steps out of the purely unmanifest domain, 
and looks out upon its own created manifest world, you are inescapably in a true self. And that's true. I mean, you're inescapably in a unique self, right. And that's unescapably true all the way up and all the way down. Right. So that's true even for an amoeba. Right. And so, um, but in terms of, of permanent realization, right. And generically, it's you you move through emptiness and you move then into non-duality, and then that is the permanent realization, not just the true self, but of true self plus perspective, which equals unique self. And it, at that point, that's where all of these things that were implicit previously um, now become a permanent part of your realization of the divine. And you cannot realize the divine without realizing that you have a special, unique relationship to that divine. Even though it is the same 100% divine that every other sentient being can realize but never through the same eyes that you have. And therefore, they will never be identical in that one important uh, uh, aspect. Yeah, Yeah. and and therefore, you're, I mean, gorgeous, and therefore you're never an extra on the set by definition. You know, and and, and maybe I'll take this, this, this opportunity to move out of Ken's beautiful articulation and kind of wrap up part one, essentially, of the dialogue, which is, we may call the kind of the structural kind of integral frameworks we kind of, what we're doing in this first part of the dialogue is kind of getting the basic understanding straight. You know, what do we mean, as Ken said, we introduce when we talk about unique self. So unique self, therefore, it's what we mean when we say there's no true self any place in the manifest world. Right? There can't be a true self in the manifest world because manifestation, by definition, means perspective. By definition, means unique perspective. What right. that creates is... Right? It creates a kind of existential joy. Right? It's the place where joy and responsibility merge together. When you realize that actually right, you are a, a, a realization of a unique expression right, of all that is, that you see in your relationship to all that is uniquely. Right? And that although all is one, right, all is one, you know, to use that phrase that you put into Up From Eden from Blythe, Right, you know, the world that you're part of the seamless code of the universe, but it's seamless but not featureless, and you're a unique feature of that universe. However, and you know, the big however, just like true self, right, awakens in the enlightened sage, and it's not the same true self that exists and is ever always already present in the amoeba, so too, you have to awaken to your unique self, and to awaken to your unique self, you need to develop both from a state perspective, Right, to the highest expression of true self that you can, and from a stage perspective, or you have to both wake up and grow up in the language you know, that, that we've been employing, right, grow up into the highest level of consciousness in which at second tier you achieve a stable, spontaneous, natural expression of your uniqueness, right, which is post-true self. But here's a, a critical caveat in order. And a lot of people have asked this question, Mega K, in teachings of the last I don't know, five, six years, well, okay, if I have to be a fully realized true self, 
in order to have any unique self, well, that means I've got to be a fully realized, you know, Ramana Maharshi, so how does unique self help me? And, you know, it's an important question, and the response to it is, of course, that there are gradations, there are levels, right? There are, you know, different levels or intensities or clarities of expression of true self. And there's a directly proportional relationship between your glimmering of true self, right, and your glimmering of unique self. And just like enlightenment itself is not a, you know, cookie-cutter expression, but people themselves who are in a process of enlightenment have moments of more or less clarity, more or less stability. So there's more or less clarity and stability in regard to unique self. But what unique self is saying is, is that the clearer you are, right, the more you've transitioned and evolved beyond your exclusive identification with your skin-encapsulated ego, the more true self you've realized and the more clarified your unique self will be, the more it will be uncoiled, the more you'll be liberated from the contraction of separate self-ego, and the more your unique self can shine right, in, in its splendor. And so, please. No, yes. I, I, yeah. And, and the, 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 in a sense, the joy um, of realizing the unique self, uh, traditionally the, the um, realization of enlightenment is, is accompanied with, with, with a great joy or a mahashuka, a great bliss. And, and for, for the unique self, in a sense, the joy is, is there's a twofold version of the joy um, because it's the discovery of the true self which brings you this great happiness this great joy this mahasuka this great bliss but it also brings the realization that this particular version of enlightenment that has just appeared in you has appeared no place else right and so there's the joy of the uniqueness that's right of, there's, there's, of that's what right. you are and the uniqueness of what you're here to do, and that and that 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 importance comes not because you're one letter in the whole alphabet, but because you are the whole alphabet expressing itself in a unique perspective. That's right, and which is why, which is why the sources in the pre-modern tradition, which didn't go in the soul direction, but went in the non-dual direction, and obviously. You know, we had major non-dual realizers in pre-modernity, right, said that if the sacred scroll is missing a letter, right, there's no sacred scroll because it's not missing a slice, but actually it, it can't be missing a letter. It's definitionally impossible because every letter has and contains the all, right, right. Which, is what, which is the way that, that tradition would express itself. And, and, but just to pick up on the joy for a second as a kind of closure to kind of, you know, part one of the dialogue, so this, there's, a, there's a key distinction here that's implicit in what Ken and I are saying. There's an entire chapter about it in the Unique Self book, which is the distinction between the joy of specialness which takes place when you have an illusion of specialness right, at the level of separate self or at the level of egoic contraction, which is basically a kind of egoic claiming of place, which is a kind of denial of death, right? Oh, my God, I'm special. I'm not going to die. I'm more special than you. The nature of the specialness is almost always comparative, right? And it has an almost aggressive quality to it. You know, I'm special. You're okay. But, but I'm yeah. special, right? Which is a kind of... And the specialness that we're talking about is a specialness which is a spontaneous expression of joy 
at the irreducibly unique place, right, that reality has granted me. And paradoxically, when I'm living in that joy of specialness, I look at you and I say, oh, my God, how special you are. It actually opens me up, right, to your infinite specialness and doesn't create greater competition or brutality. It actually opens up the space and uniqueness becomes paradoxically, right, not an expression of alienation or separation, but uniqueness becomes the currency of connection, right, right, between unique selves, right. My uniqueness paradoxically is, you know, what we call the puzzle piece dharma of enlightenment, you know, I begin to realize, you know, that I'm a puzzle piece. And if I would, if I would frame it, you know, through the puzzle piece image, Ken, the way I would say it is, you know, when I'm a separate self, you know, I think I'm a puzzle piece, but I don't realize there's a puzzle. Right? I think that, you know, these contours are the entire story. You know, when I'm in true self, as it were, right, there's no separate pieces. There's just one, right? And as the, the, the lines separating in the puzzle, right, have disappeared, there's just one. It's seamless. And when I awaken as unique self, it's the realization right, that I'm a puzzle piece. I'm inextricable and inseparable and indivisible from the whole puzzle and the whole puzzle's in me. The whole puzzle's in my puzzle piece. That's the paradox right, of the unique self-realization. And then I understand it's a natural expression that actually my uniqueness right, is that which connects me to you. And I'm actually held by the universe in my uniqueness just like a puzzle piece is held. Right? That sense of being held, of being located, right, of being home. Right? And the inexpressible joy that comes from occupying my right place and not being lost in a kind of imposter, you know, place where I'm, I'm so busy being jealous of you because you seem to be in your place and I don't seem to be, which is the source of all, all brutality and, and striving in its negative sense, right, actually dissipates as I naturally locate, right, in my infinitely special and unique place. And, and it's maybe important to point out that the, in the attack on specialness, right, that exists in the classical enlightenment literature, this distinction is completely lost, unfortunately. So there's a kind of attack on specialness, but for the Course in Miracles, for example, you know, if you're not special, you know, you're not going to find peace, but, you know, and that kind of line exists every place. These are important perceptions, but of course what they're referring to is specialness at the separate self, egoic, distortion contraction level and they forget that specialness actually lives as a natural expression of unique self at this second level joy that we're talking about and what happens is right seekers from every tradition from all the post metaphysical places actually get enormously confused because they have an intuitive sense of their uniqueness they have a sense of well you know I'm special which is not their narcissistic self-involvement it's not their self-indulgence. It's not the hypersensitive self, right? It's not the self lost in a very narrow, contracted, coiled definition. It's actually a correct intuition of essence. It's a correct sense that I'm, in fact, a personal expression. I'm the personal phase of essence. And then what the teacher tells them is, no, no, that's ego. Go meditate more. Or, you know, you, you really got to evolve beyond that because cause you're actually lost. And the teacher, him or herself, whether, you know, postmodern or ancient, or the text, whether postmodern or ancient, right, fails to distinguish between uniqueness at the level of separate self and uniqueness at the level of unique self, which is the entire distinction, and specialness at these two very distinct, right, states and very distinct levels of consciousness. 
And by liberating this space, we liberate both the joy in that, which of course changes the entire trajectory of the human life, we also liberate the unique creativity, you know, the evolutionary creativity, which is a function and a natural spontaneous expression right, of that unique self-place, we begin to see why this is in fact, you know, the change that changes everything.